Hey, what's going on? You are not going to want to miss this particular episode. I speak to Josh Leger. He has a phenomenal story where he talks about um, what it was like growing up in a group home, um, all the abuse that he had to endure. He also talks about, and you're going to love this, his very first love. Spoiler, she was a lot older than he was. You are not going to want to miss this one. This is The Learning Man. Welcome to The Learning Man. My name is Omar Cantu, and I'm your host. And uh, I produce this podcast primarily because uh, I just recently turned 40, and I'm uh, kind of uh, on a uh, journey of self-discovery, if you will. Um, Part of that is, uh, you know, is figuring out what makes a man. Um, on this podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about the taboo topics that we don't necessarily, that we were kind of like raised not to talk about as men. Things like depression, mental health, anxiety. And uh, on today's episode, I am super, super excited. We're going to be delving, uh, diving headfirst into the topic of culture shock. And uh, to, uh, to kind of uh, go through this with me, I am uh, very, very happy, very, very pleased to introduce to you Joshua Leger. Did I say it right? Leger. Leger. Close. I was close. I was close. Um, and uh, so Josh is, he's a United States Marine. He is a self-proclaimed male feminist, a father, a black community community leader. He's an entrepreneur, a consultant, um, a business transformation and logistic expert. And uh, he has a very unique story primarily because he's basically been a fish out of water for his entire life, right? Just uh, struggling for air. (laughs) Just struggling (laughs) Struggling for air, 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 flopping around, doing stuff. I think I think that's kind of like what the journey of life is, right? I'm mean, yeah. just trying to figure things out. Just like one breath at a time. Like you you put yourself in uncomfortable positions just to grow. Like you, you don't want to be the the last thing you want to be is like big fish in a small pond, because you might not even be a big fish. You might right. just be a goldfish in, in, a, in a little fish bowl, and right. you think that's your whole world. So instead, you jump out of the fish bowl and you flop around on the table until somebody puts you in a bigger aquarium. That's a really great. That's a really great analogy, and 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 I think I think it's also important to kind of like also talk about how how what you think is a big pond or a big fishbowl, you realize at some point in your life it's not. There's a whole other world out there that you don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't fully understand that even exists. And you have to put yourself, you have to take yourself out of wherever you are. Like, so I guess this, this leads into our discussion, right? Um, I've been around the world. I've talked to different people, experienced different cultures. And I did that very young. And then I circled all the way back around to being in the U.S. around people who were like me or who I, who, who appeared to be like me. But I came back with this perspective um, from everywhere else that I had ever been. So when I when I look at the world, I look at it through several lenses and several filters, as opposed to, you know, if I had just stayed where I was and in my town and done what I'd done, um, it doesn't make me any better or worse. Right. It, it just gives me a different perspective on the world. And I think that's what really pushes you to grow. Mm-hmm. You got to make yourself like 
constantly un- more uncomfortable. Um, what, what brings what I, what comes to mind with me is a, I practice Muay Thai. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got knocked out. So really? yeah, it, it was at a sparring match and I did something wrong and I got knocked out. And as soon as I hit the ground, my eyes popped up and I said, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. And I jumped back up and I was ready to go again. Um, oh, and the guy was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm smiling like, yeah, that's good. But the reason it wasn't good and feel great. Right. But the reason it was good was because I, I, I realized what I had done wrong. Right. So last week, so Sunday, last Sunday, I saw the same guy and he's considerably, you know, better than me. And I went to seek him out. I was like, I want to spar with you. And he beat me up again. Right. And next time I see him, I'm going to do it again and again, because that's how you grow. You have to make yourself. Because you know where those limits are and you can you can kind of test yourself and kind of level up. Yeah. And, you know. It sucks. You know, it it hurts just like being knocked out, but it's just like anything else in life. You know, those, those hard, those hard times, those, uh, those, those challenges, those, those times that you get knocked out a lot of times are the best lessons because, you know, and, and you also know what it's like. Yeah. You also know what it's like to be, to to be, to be knocked out. Right. Right. And and it's not that bad. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's not. No, no, no. Getting, getting knocked out. It's not that bad. Like, the the next day, um, going through in your mind repeatedly the reason why you got knocked out, that's the part that sucks because that's the part that's your fault. Right. They, it sucks to look at yourself and know that it, everybody wants to believe they're great. Like right. every time I wrap my hands and I put gloves on, every time I get on a Zoom call, every time I come in for a podcast, right. like I want to believe that I'm great and that I sound good and that I'm knowledgeable and I'm, I'm an expert right. because of all those things that you listed before we started talking. But in reality, I'm just another man mm-hmm. and I'm not as great as I may think I am from time. It's important to be confident, but it's also too important to understand that you're not as great as usually, you're not as great as what other people think you are. Right. Other people might think you're great, but that's part of being a man, humility. Right. You, that's you a, have that's to have a big that. lesson. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that only comes from getting knocked out. That's a great point. <laughs> that's a great point. So, so one of the things that, you know, I, you know, you have such an interesting life and I guess, I guess the only way to kind of like talk about specifically cu- culture shock is to kind of like start from the beginning. So what was your, like, where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Um, what was, you know, what was it like, you know, becoming a man for you? That's a, boy, that's a long, long story, but I'll sum it up. Like, so my mom was in the military. My mom and my dad were in the military and, uh, Oh, so you're a, you're you're army brat. Yeah, yeah. My my mom and my dad were in the army. Um, they met in the army. I my mother has told a very embarrassing story about me being conceived in Germany. Uh, so I was born in Germany. Heidelberg. Uh, Lunchstuhl. Okay. I was born in Lunchstuhl. Um, we lived there till I don't know. I was a couple of years old. And my grandmother lived in Iowa. Mm -hmm. So my mom, I think she had to go to like Italy or something. So she dropped me off my grandmother and I Mm -hmm. stayed in Iowa and she was in Italy for a long time. Um, So was she was she one of the uh, the women in the uh, 
the RV program from Stripes? Uh, my mother is a very interesting person. My mother, <laughs> no, she was, about? yes, yeah. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. My mother is a very interesting person, though. Like she was, um, she was in, she was like a crypto linguist, something communications mm-hmm. army. I, I know she speaks a couple different languages, mm-hmm. uh, but she was the person that like basically sat on top of the mountain and listened to Russian communications in the 80s before the wall came down. Wow. That's, that was her job. Um, so she, I don't really know a lot about what she did. And my dad was an engineer. So she was in the movie Spies Like Us. Yes, yeah, yeah, that would have yeah, been her. Got yeah. it, got it. With Dan so I, I did, I lived there. And then when my mom came back, we moved to Missouri and then we moved to Virginia and then we moved all over the place. My family, like home is, I consider home New Orleans, but mm-hmm. like I've lived all over the place. Um, and I went to a bunch of different high schools cause I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I was in a group home, uh, at one point because I got in a lot of trouble. There, there's just a lot of different fish out of water, uh, right. situations. Like I can recall being in a group home and I think that was the, the first time when I thought I, I knew I was different. Um, before I, the, how I got to the group home was thinking that I was like everyone else and doing what everyone else was doing, um, selling drugs, stealing cars, whatever mm-hmm. everyone else was doing. And then I go to the group home and I realize that these kids have real problems, mm-hmm. like real life problems. Like I have a family who tried to control me, but I was kind of a wild one. And these kids have real problems. Like they, they did, did things out of necessity and they, to, they survive. to survive and they really, ha- and I wasn't, I wasn't that. Right. So, 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 and and so by group home, you're saying you got in trouble with the law and instead of sending you over to like juvie or whatever, they put you into like a group. group No, my, so actually my mother, um, did not want me to come home. My mom didn't want me. So I ended up bouncing between group homes because my mom didn't, she just wouldn't literally like one of them was like two miles from my house. And nobody ever came to really visit me, maybe on my birthday or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was just stuck there. And and, one, and how, how long were you there? Uh, on and off for like four years. Wow. And from I, like what ages? Uh, like 10, 11 through like 14, 15. Man, so you were young. Well, and then I went to another place uh, my freshman year. So like, yeah, five years, like five years. Wow. Um but like during during that time, I think that's what really made me a man. Not really taught me lessons in life, but taught me lessons in like survival. Like I realized at the group home that I had to be smart because um, we had our own school on like within the, the home, mm-hmm. and I got so smart that they had to send me to public school because they didn't have teachers to teach me anymore. Or like I had to be tough. Uh, we would get in trouble. That's uh, we'll go down that line a little later, but we would get in trouble for whatever the counselors thought we could be in trouble for. And a lot of the other kids couldn't take the punishment and, and they were pretty harsh. Like they used to beat us. Um, I'm making noise. You are making yeah. a little. I, so yeah, I, know I fidget. That's, that's the other part of me. I have ADHD. Really Sorry, bad. producer. We but, apologize. Uh, <laughs> The um, don't kick us out. <laughs> yeah, don't please don't kick me out. I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that we would get in trouble. Uh, they would beat us, choke us. Like I can remember getting beat up and choked out uh, by the the guys who eventually ended up in prison because they killed a kid. 
But like, I was an adult when that happened. But in, like, in in the home, like yeah. in the home, yeah. They, so this wasn't like you know, I mean, it's not like the place you know, like the 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 home from Annie. I mean, no. this is like no, like, this is some like real shit that you're seeing like at a very young age. Yeah, they we we were like teenagers, and the guy's name I'll never forget it, John and Marlon. Um, one was like an army vet. Marlon was a short guy. He was an army vet. Um, or Marlon was a tall guy. He was a bas- college basketball player. John was an army vet. He was short, stocky. And they would, if we, pretty much if we made them angry, right? I think this needs to come up. Pretty much, yeah, I'll just hold it. If they, if we made them angry. It breaks down a little bit. Um, they would, they would like punish us. They would either make us go without food or they would like take us upstairs and and like they would put you on your stomach, fold your ankles, push them to your butt. One guy would choke you and the other guy would like hit you in your ribs and stuff until you like passed out. And the other kids would be like really messed up for that. And I could take it. So I would take the punishments for the other kids and laugh at them. Like I can recall looking John, I'm like a kid, right? Looking this grown man in his face and laughing because I knew that he wanted me to cry. He wanted me to scream. And I, I couldn't beat this guy up. I was probably 125 pounds, but I knew that I could defeat him because if, if I didn't give him what he wanted, I won. So they would literally sit there and beat me and choke me until I passed out and I wouldn't cry, I wouldn't ask for anything. I wouldn't say, please stop. I wouldn't do anything. I would just take it. And then when I woke up, I would laugh at him again. Like that was like my first man lesson. Like sometimes stuff just sucks and there's nothing you can do about it. And people are going to treat you badly, but you can control yourself. So in that situation, the only thing I could control was myself. So I did. And in controlling myself, I won. Right. And eventually they, I guess, like they were demoralized. They stopped doing what they were doing. What was the reaction? I mean, can you, do you remember like how they reacted? They would get mad. So it would would just piss them off. Yeah. You wouldn't react. Oh, absolutely. And they would scream at me and they would, they would do things to try to make me react. And I would just, I'd rather pass out. I would rather pass out than cry. I would rather pass out than scream. I would rather pass out than ask them to stop. I I would rather pass out than anything because they wanted what they wanted. And the only control I had was to not give them. I couldn't do anything, Mm -hmm. but I could not do something. Right. And for me, that was a win. Jeez. And that was like the first time. It was maybe like 12, maybe the first time. I can't imagine the level of self-control that you had at 12 years old. I think it was like less self-control and and more like defiance. Okay. And I'm a very stubborn, defiant person even now at 38 years old. Mm -hmm. I think that it was less self-control and was more defiance. And that was like the man moment. I, I realized that as long as I don't, die basically i succeed yeah you good yeah this is success (laughs) yeah and and maybe maybe that's a maybe maybe that's something to talk to my therapist about yeah you know know. (laughs) maybe maybe but it it works it works you know you know i i think that you know a lot of at least this has been my kind of like at least this has been kind of my experience like you know for for my childhood, kind of like, you know, becoming a man is, uh, and I, I still feel, 
I still feel like I'm 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 still on the path, right? Like, cause you know I'm 40, but uh, I really don't feel it, and I I really don't think it, right? Like it's it's kind of like a weird kind of thing that I you know uh, you know some people would would call me uh, you know immature. I think yeah, a lot of boy a boy uh, yeah. boyish tendencies in me. I think, um, but for me, you know, the biggest thing I think is. Um, do you want to? Do you want to take a break? Oh no, no, I'm just gonna fix that mic real quick. Okay. I get, I can. Yeah. Cut it, cut all that. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I really don't want to break it. No, <laughs> I actually broke one of these stands doing doing just that. So. Oh, the ones we had at Ibel sucked. Yeah. Yeah, the little the the ones for the main studio, like mm -hmm. they were on the sides and they just like. Fall. Yeah, yeah, we I used to have I break some that were like accident. attached to the table and I didn't I didn't like it like that. I was just like I found one video where I saw somebody just popping on the table like this. Yeah. Is this uh do you think this would be a good position? Yeah, I think that that's about where, where I had it before. And it started slowly okay. drooping. Yeah, and, and it touching the table and stuff and moving your feet yeah. gets picked up by these mics. Okay. Because these have like a like a wide they're yeah, like, I heard that. Yeah, I was like, let me stop. Can you hear anything over there? I, I can, I can hear it. It's not, it's not very because these are dynamic, so it's it's pretty faint over there. Yeah. But, okay. Um, I could probably pull some of it out. Okay. Should, I was just shouldn't be too much. It shouldn't be just to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, where were we? So you know, it's been my kind of experience, like in my childhood and becoming a man, and you know, um. Sometimes my, even myself, like I don't, like I just turned 40. I don't feel it. I don't think it a lot of times. And a lot of times that, you know, I would say, I would say the majority of the people that I meet think I'm a lot younger because I still have kind of, you know, yeah, you have a lot of energy. I didn't think boyish, boyish yeah. tendencies, you know, and stuff. And so, and, um, and, but I think, you know, one of the things that I've, I've kind of learned along the way is that it's not about it's not necessarily about what happens to you. It's how you react to it. Yeah. You are. I'm not what has happened to me. Right. I am Josh. And that other stuff happened and it contributed to my my frame of mind, my way of thought. But that doesn't define me. Right. Like nothing that has happened to me ever. Everything that I've chosen and everything I choose to be is what defines me. But and all that st other stuff happens because most of the time, the things that happen to you, you don't have ultimate control over. Right. You're, most of our lives we spend being very reactive. As much as we like to plan and be proactive about things, like one thing the, the Marine Corps taught me was that all plans fail. Every single one. Like I have never had a plan, and I've had some plans that have gone beautifully in life in general. But they never went as planned. Right. So if you, you can't just really, act and react. Yeah. Yeah. You just we're, we're all out here just we're just doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a that reminds me of a, I, I think it's like a TikTok video. And the guy's like he's he's a comedian. He looks all like crazy, uh, crazy hair and stuff. Older guy, you know, gray hair. And yeah. he's just like, hey, uh, you don't you don't have to ask for permission. You can just go out and do stuff, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> And I feel like it's so true. Like, I think we, you know, we as men kind of like, you know, sometimes 
sometimes we we almost think to ourselves like we have to ask for permission. Well, because it's uh, it's often because of how we're valued mm -hmm. in the world. Like nobody's really looking for the most part at a man's existential value. Like you have a podcast, you're a professional. Like nobody's really looking at your existential value. They're looking at what it is that you do. What? How is it that you? How do you provide how to do this you world? Provide? Yeah. yeah. Like right. so, of course. Like we're gonna analysis paralysis. We're gonna sit here and be like, all right. Well, I have to be productive. Like when as people ask, how are you doing? Like you have, you ever get somebody to say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. But how often are people actually give them an answer? Yeah, that, well, like, that, or, that, or, or open up like, to it, to them in any how do you way. Feel right. Nobody, nobody ever says, "Hey, Josh, how do you feel today?" They say, "How are you doing?" Yeah. What am I doing? Not how am I feeling. Not what do I think. It's what am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing it? Yeah. So productivity is always for a man. That's always what 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 we're measuring ourselves. Against. You know, I've never thought of a thought about it like that but you're i think you're absolutely right yeah and it's always um you know it's all it's always about like what you as a man what you bring to the table right like what not necessarily kind of like how you feel about things but what are going to be the actual results and i think that there's but there's i think that and that also kind of like plays into I feel like plays into why men don't feel comfortable talking about depression, talking about anxiety, talking about performance anxiety, about, you know, men, just mental health in general. Like, I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot in play there specifically because we have to hide all those things. We, we, we were taught from, you know, earlier generations that you have to hide all those things because, because at the end of the day, those things don't matter because you need to provide. Right. You need to be able to do do things. You need to be able to make something out of yourself, you right. know? Like, I've managed to, through a series of failed plans, lots of tears, um, oh, yeah. nights not sleeping, make something of myself. Mm -hmm. But people see what I've made of myself or what I offer to the world, and they see the product instead of the process. And the process is hideous. The process is painful. And very often, not very often, does someone say, like, how do you feel about this? Like, you might even get, I, I'm not good at receiving compliments. I, I don't know. Well, like, what do you say when somebody says, like, oh, my God, you're so smart? And you're like, uh, thanks? Right, yeah. Or, like, you know, I, I don't receive that well because in my mind, like. I think most guys are like that, too. Yeah, because that's not. Like, okay, so a, mo a lot of women, even you know, like as young girls are, oh, you're so pretty and, and you're so smart. And you and we get a, you get a lot of compliments just like for being you. Like, they don't even have to do anything crazy. Right. But for boys, like I never, I got more um, reprimands than I negative did. Like, reinforcement right, negative rather reinforcement rather than positive. Nobody, nobody said, oh my God, Josh, you're so smart or you're so handsome. They said, you know, oh, my God, Josh, why did you climb up that tree and fall and, and hurt yourself? Or right. why did you break this? Or why why did you get in a fight at school? Right. I, mean, I would come home with good grades and it right. would be like, OK, that's what you're supposed to do. 
Yeah, it's, right. it's never. It's yeah, exactly. It's never. It's never. Hey, what did you see up there when you uh, when yeah. you climbed the tree? You know what? Uh, you know what did you actually learn with those good grades? What did you? Right. Yeah. Like, what were you thinking? Like, why were you? And it was always like a rhetorical question when my grandmother or my mother or somebody would say, "Josh, what were you thinking? Don't answer that question." Don't answer that question. So like nobody really cared. Like maybe maybe I had a bad day at home and I got in a fight at school or maybe I climbed this tree because I just I was bored at home and nobody asked me how I felt today. So I wanted to go feel something. So I climbed to the top of this 30 foot tree yeah. that I knew my grandmother was going to beat me for. And I didn't care because that's how I felt. But no. What did you? What are you doing? Why did you do this? Like, so you learn productivity and you learn to fit inside right. the box and ask for permission instead of just doing things. That's really interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. Um, you know, so so going back to your, you know, going back to, I know we kind of like, you know, went a little bit on the tangent a little, you know, a little bit, but I know that and. Um, it was really great points that you brought up, but, but I want to kind of go back and talk about, you know, your experience kind of like in, in the group home, like you said that your, your mom, you know, sent you away, um, because you know, you weren't, you weren't acting right at home or you, you were getting, you know, you're getting in, in a lot of trouble and yeah. stuff. How did you, I mean, how did you, and, and it was off and on for four years. So like, how did you kind of like process that, especially during, during those those formative years. Hyper independence. Yeah. That's what the result of that was. Mm -hmm. Like I learned not to trust people. I learned that I was the one in control, even when I wasn't in control. Like I can't trust these. So thinking about your mother, right? This is the person, the first person, that, the first human that you have contact with. And then you're born of her and then she nurtures you. And then for me, she nurtured me to a point and then she didn't nurture me anymore. Mm -hmm. So I learned like if I can't trust that, I can't trust anything or mm -hmm. anyone. And then like, you know, I had I had I won't say that my my family was terrible because I had uh, a lot of positive examples, men and women mm -hmm. in my in my family. Um, but I did learn that I couldn't. That's how I process. I, I couldn't trust anybody. And then I go to the group home. You get abused at the group home. And I actually told my mother what was going on. These guys are beating the shit out of me. Yeah, like yeah. They, they abused us when I could, when I could tell her and when I could tell people. And they told me I was a liar. Um, th my first sexual interaction was in a group home. Her name was Tammy. She's a 40-year-old woman. I was, wow. I was like 13. So like... These things, these are things that I learned. I didn't learn these lessons from my family. I didn't learn how to be independent from my family. I didn't learn time you, management. You, you, I didn't you never, you, yeah, you never had the no. even, you know, the discussion of the birds and the bees with, no. with your pops. I no. didn't either. Well, yeah. and like that something different happens when I, I think that oh, you've read my background, like psychology and my background. Like right. I think the difference between when a man or when a boy is molested by a woman and when a girl is molested by a man are are two completely different. Uh, most most of the time, two completely different situations like the man is 
he's exercising physical dominance and control over this little girl, okay. which is terrible. Like that, we'll, we'll talk about that another day, but that's terrible. With a woman, with her, and specifically with, in my situation, in role. it was, I didn't know what was going on was wrong un, until much later. Like I had a emotional attachment to this woman. Right. Like I thought she loved me. I thought I loved her. So that was the attachment I had. So like all these things that you're supposed to learn, like you're supposed to learn what this means and love means and responsibility and time management, you know, risk and reward and punishment right. and all these. Right. I learned that by myself. So as I got older, I became hyper independent and not trusting of anyone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes has served me, but oftentimes has not. And you have to unteach. It's so hard to unteach yourself those things. Do you think? Do you think a part of you was kind of yearning for that? For that? That nurturing, like you were looking for the nurturing, and you found it in this woman, and and Absolutely. and that's what you were. But in your head, you kind of process that is as falling in love with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Like, I was looking for something. For a mother figure. Yeah, I was looking for something. And that was what I found. And I obviously didn't have anything to compare it to. Right. So I'm like, all right, well, this must be good, especially because I got had certain benefits because of it. Like, I got I was left alone mm -hmm. to a certain extent because of this. Um, that's that's how you start to you start to develop. And it's only as an adult, like as a, as a man, a real man, that I go back and I look at these things and I say, well, how did I become this? Yeah, I was like, whoa, that was that was kind of fucked up. What, yeah. what happened there? What was I thinking? What was I feeling? Well, yeah, and it extends to all your other relationships. Like I was married at one point mm -hmm. and I can say that, like, neither one of us were perfect, but I know that I played a part and was wrong in certain at certain right. junctures in our relationship. Like, I'm not divorced because my ex-wife is a terrible person. I'm divorced because we were both young. We didn't know each other as well as we should have. We both made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we... Was she military as well? No, no. Okay. Like, that that's when you start to take accountability. So to your point, like, when did I, when those man lessons came in? Very young, but I didn't know they were those lessons mm -hmm. until oh, when I was older. Right. That's, that's really interesting. So, you know, on your LinkedIn bio, you know, that's a really great segue. Yeah. So on your LinkedIn bio, you, um, you have a really great bio, by the way. Um, yeah. Um, for the listeners, this guy's, this guy's a hot shot. Like when I, when I mentioned entrepreneur, he's a consultant, he's a business transformation expert. I mean, this guy has, um, he helps, he deals with a lot of big brands, pocketbooks and helps them make more money essentially. And, and figuring out, you know, roles, responsibilities. He's a people manager. Like this guy's a hot shot. And <clears throat> One of the things that that's mentioned on there is, uh, you know, with with all of the letters behind your name, right, and and your two degrees in psychology and philosophy. Yeah, I think you have your your master's in philosophy, right? Psychology. Okay, so I got those reversed. Yeah. 
Um, with all that, you always, you know, in your LinkedIn bio, you, you mentioned that, that, um, your biggest achievement, the thing you're most proud of is, is being a father. So with that, what, I mean, what was that like, that transition? I mean, you, you mentioned that you were once married, that you, you got divorced and, and things just didn't work out because, you know, you, you guys were different, different people. What, um, what was that like kind of, what was your experience of be, becoming a dad and what has that kind of transitioned to into being, um, you know, into the single parenting kind of like lifestyle? So, um, it was terrifying at first. I, at what, what age did you become? become I was 22. 22. Oh, so you, I mean, pretty young. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was pretty young. So it was terrifying. Um, like having this little human that you're responsible for, like, it's not like having a puppy, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like having this little human that you are responsible for. And then, uh, we got divorced when my son was fairly young. Um, and then I, so I was gone a lot mm-hmm. and I have been throughout my son's life. I've been gone a lot. Deployment. I mean, uh, deployment, seven, seven deployments. Yeah, yeah. Deployment, getting out of the military right. and school and moving around. And I will say that I wish that I had been more present. Um, so my ex-wife is a great mother. Uh, she's, she's a great mother. And whether we get along or not, they as and so you have to you have to divorce those two ideas of whether you like a person and whether they're they're good at what they're good at, right? Right. She's a good mother, and she has two other children, and she's a good mother to them, and she has a relationship with another man, and she's a good woman to him. Right. Like, but her and I, for whatever reason, I she she picked up most of the slack because I was not present. Right. But even in my mind, it was always the I have to do this because him, like because my son is going to go to college and my son is going to because you have to provide. You have because right. you have to provide. You're right. a man, right? Right. And even when I wasn't present, I always had to be productive. Right. And um, that's I think that's pushed me to do the things that I do uh, because I have to be productive. Mm-hmm. Because I have to give him an example because I I can't fail. It's a no fail thing. And that was fatherhood for me. That father at when I was 19, 20, I could fail and then I'd skip off into the winds and nothing would come of it because nobody else depended on me at all. Mm-hmm. But in the last 16 years, I cannot fail. Because if I fail, he fails. If I fail, she fails. If I fail, everything falls apart. Right. And I and I, I think that's pushed. It's driven me and motivated. So when I say this, that's the most important part of me. It's one I do. I love my son, but also, it's given me the tenacity to get knocked out. Mm-hmm. I I failed, and when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2015, um, I became a management consultant. I have no idea why this guy hired me to be a management consultant. I 100% was not qualified to be a management consultant. Right. Guy took a chance on me. I went out, I went to certain manufacturing companies. I was performing audits. I was doing all this stuff, learning on the fly, performing all, all this stuff. And then um, I left that job for a different job because I wanted to be more stationary. Right. I worked that job for a month and I got fired. Like, 
they they mass fired like 30 people. Um, I think they were selling. So you left a, a stable, stable job, gambled. Went to another stable job that was. That you thought was stable yeah, and got let go. And got let go. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in college. I was unemployed mm-hmm. at that point. I had rent. I had this. I had that. And I needed money. So I was like, man, how am I going to get some money? Oh, I got it. Bling. I could go to college and my GI Bill will pay for me to go to college and put money in my pocket. So I didn't want to go to college. I went to college because I had to go to college because I wanted money. I didn't want an education. I wanted to be productive. Mm -hmm. And going to college, I treated like a job because it was productive. Um, I, you know, I learned to love it. Right. But uh, while I was in college, I started to love to learn. So I was a business major first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I switched to philosophy because in my mind, I had three years of college eligibility for free with the GI Bill. I wanted to graduate. I started and finished my bachelor's degree in two years. Wow. I wanted to graduate with enough time to get my master's. Degree. And you were already I mean, you were way older than the other yeah i was 31 when i went to college like i I went in there and they were partying have a good time i was like i did all of my philosophy um major credits in two semesters so yeah i i lost my mind temporarily just just, yeah yeah through it one semester i had metaphysics existentialism um gender studies philosophy of religion and one other guy was taking i was taking a lot of credits every semester and full summers and full winters so like but I, it was the goal i had to be just, productive yeah just get out yeah and yeah and so that was that's where that came from i, I learned to love i picked philosophy and then i rolled into psychology cause and that was you went to new jersey city university, university. New jersey city new jersey yeah yeah so, but you're originally from New Orleans. So what was that culture shock like when you went from a Southern city to like a Northern city? It's not crazy. Um, my family is, so you have, so I, I say split. My family's New Orleans and Iowa. I think I'm closer to the Iowa side of my family than I am to the New Orleans side of my family because I had more exposure to them. Cause like my other, my aunt lives in uh, Missouri, my my grandmother and my, you know, my some of my family's in Iowa, and then we've got family in Atlanta, and then we, so, it there's no real culture shock there, mm-hmm. because I have people everywhere, and I was exposed to everything. I got I went stayed with everybody. I think I lived with my aunt in North Carolina for um, a little while when I was a kid, and then I lived in Missouri with my other aunt, and I lived in Iowa. I, I lived all over the place, so. It, there was no culture shock. It was just like different people do different things. Like in the South, they cook food a certain way. And in, in the Middle West, they put gravy on everything. Like it was just, 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 just what the flavor is. But what about like the people? Like was it like, uh, were, were, did so people? Different. Well, and yeah. also did people treat you differently? I mean, because you're, you know, no. just being a black guy no. like in New Jersey, was it or, or in the South? Like was it different? Um yeah, so being black in different parts of the country is definitely different. Um, in New Jersey and New York, uh, there's it's it's more more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less polarized, meaning like black people are not here, and then white people are here. So everybody kind of lives together in a lot of southern towns. I mean, if you look at here in Austin, mm-hmm. um, 
this is the black section of town. Like historically, East Austin yeah. was the black section. Of I, Austin. Man, I, I, it's sad, but I think I think majority of of most of the south si- of cities are like that. Yeah. yeah, the other the other side of the tracks. Yeah, and, but it's it's really noticeable in the south. Mm-hmm. When you go to the northeast, it's not so noticeable. It's that people treat you differently. Mm-hmm. So on my when I lived in Bayonne, New Jersey, um, I lived in a studio apartment, the bottom floor. Of this I was it was tiny. It was probably the size of the studio, and it was like my bed and everything was in there. Um, my neighbor upstairs was Egyptian. The people up, the neighbor on the top was Egyptian. The people in the middle were Puerto Rican, and then you had me on the bottom. The guy next to me was a white guy. Two doors down, the lady who watched my dog. Sometimes she was like older white lady, Cuban lady, like. Everybody was different in my classes. Like we had all different types of people. That's normal. That's a normal reflection of everywhere in the Northeast for the most part. Mm-hmm. In the South, it's not that. Like there are different kinds of people, but black people stay here, white people stay there, mm-hmm. Hispanic people over here, and they might interact, but the, there's different insular communities. I I felt that as a black man, in the Northeast, I was treated differently. I was treated differently, um, not because I was necessarily black, but because I was different. It's like once I started talking, like people would call me country and stuff like that. Like I just didn't do things the same way. Right. Uh, in the South, uh, I think that people are more used to staying to their own, uh, to their themselves. Their own yeah. And once you cross those tracks, uh, then you start to be treated differently. Uh, but in, in the Northeast, it was everybody's so close together. So you have to start to recognize the cultural differences. Like, I know a lot about Caribbean culture and Hispanic mm-hmm. culture and like, like Latino culture, basically, because I lived with these people and I had to learn how to uh, how to talk to them. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot about Egyptian culture because my neighbor was Egyptian. Yeah. Hazim. Hazim was my neighbor. He was Egyptian. I talked to the guy every day. We helped each other with stuff. His wife used to bring me like rice pudding and stuff. Like his kid loved me. Yeah. I learned about his holidays. I learned about all. And then my landlord was Coptic, Christian, Egyptian. So then I learned that, you know, Muslim Egyptians and Coptic Egyptians were their culture was drastically different. Interesting. Yeah. So like, you you have to you have to learn, and so like, as a as a black man, you start to learn the difference in black culture in different places in the country, and how people recognize that. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic. Um, Same. Yeah. Like, it's to me that's normal. Mm-hmm. I've been places where they're like, "Oh, you're black? Oh, you're Catholic? There's black Catholic." I've had people ask me that. Are there black Catholics? That's crazy. Because like, because the majority of them are Southern Baptist. If you go to Tennessee, yeah, most of the black people in Tennessee are Baptist or Pentecostal. Yeah, I never thought about <laughs> that. That's so interesting. So in terms of, um, so that's that's really interesting. How what did the like what was your experience? Because you know, you've been in situations where, you know, your team, it, you know, once you, when you were deployed overseas, I mean, you were in Afghanistan, you were in Iran, All right, Iraq, yeah. Iraq. Yeah. Um, when you were deployed, your team was basically part of the teams that would go in and talk to the local, so the locals in the, in the areas, right? Yeah. So, I, um, I was, I worked in logistics for a long time and what we, we had to deal with locals a lot 
especially when they they're obviously they're contractors. The local contractors would come and do certain things on the base. Or right. um, when I what really comes to mind is like when I was in Marja, and it's literally like in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. a PB in the middle of nowhere. Um, we had ANA, uh, Afghan National Army, and ANCOP, like the, the National Police and all that on our base. We also had contractors that would come on our base. And then we had a, like a shock trauma platoon that would provide medical service to people um, from out in the community. And then we would go out in the community and meet people and talk to people. Uh, our interpreter was an Afghan. He lived with us. I mean, we Every day I saw this dude. Every day, I'm still friends with him. He lives in London now. Um, every day we'd see this dude. So being... Being that I I went through that, I had to that again more culture, and more fish out of water experiences. Um, I, I have friends in the military that are country boys from Georgia and city mm-hmm. boys from Chicago, and they you you never you never really know. One of my good friends, uh, he was he's from uh, from Congo, mm-hmm. and he was basically a child soldier, yeah. and he came and he joined the Marine Corps. And he's one of my good friends. I told you, my interpreter is my friend. And yeah. My view of diversity is goes way beyond black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes more into like thought, mm-hmm. thought processes. And and judging people by their character. Not, by their character. Not by their background or even, mm-hmm. you know, the, the color or their skin or any, or their, yeah. you know, religious beliefs. That's so important. Like, that's like a really you talked about Afghanistan right like going speaking to the community like and I, I believe we were having a conversation earlier where I said that like mm-hmm. those people and what they what they what's important to them is the same thing that's important to us here right. like food shelter family safety like that's what they when I spoke to people I don't know what people watch on the news, but when I spoke to people, that was what was important to them. That was the crux of everything that they did. And, you know, if if they didn't, if we were their enemy, right, which is subjective, if we were their enemy, then they still treated us like their guest. Mm-hmm. They still treat, there was a certain degree of respect that you would be treated with. Right. In that moment. Now, it's a fight, it's a fight. But... In that moment when you're speaking, you don't you don't typically see that here in America. Like we 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 develop these ideologies about certain groups of people. And for the most part, we don't know why we don't like certain people. Like you meet a racist guy, dude, and he's like, Why you're like, why didn't you like black people? And he's like, Well, my great granddaddy told me like Yeah, exactly. But why don't you like like what has happened to right. And, and I, I found that I once watched an episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yeah. and I hated it. Exactly. Like, what's your right. reason? Like that's dumb. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it goes both ways. Like I know a lot of black people who don't like white people. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of Mexican people that don't like black people. And I know a lot of Puerto Ricans that don't like anybody who's not Puerto Rican. Right. I, like that's though. That's people in general are going to find differences. But if unless you can identify to me why you don't like somebody, mm-hmm. it's irrational. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's, it's irrational. It is, it is, yeah. And it better be a damn good reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I, I think that's beautiful. Like w- when you went over there, were you like, were you, were you prepared? No, God, like, no. Like, did you have, <laughs> did you have an idea of what the enemy was and what their families were like and, no. and all that kind of stuff? Or was this like, holy shit, these people care about the same stuff that, that we care about. No, like you got to remember, like I didn't go in the military because I was like patriotic, gung-ho, 9-11, kill the terrorists. I didn't go in the military for that. I literally went in the military because I didn't want to go to jail. Like, not that I, wow. that, that wasn't my choice. Like it wasn't like go in the military, go to jail, but it was like my people that I saw around me mm-hmm. were two months before I went in the military. Uh, I had a person that I knew I wouldn't really consider him a friend, but he was a close associate, die. And another one go to prison. Another guy that I really knew well went to prison. He's still in prison now. Mm. So I didn't want that. I'm assuming for probably murder or something. Uh, yeah. Eh, well, well, yeah. It's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. um, but I, I didn't want that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to go somewhere. And I didn't really tell anybody that I was leaving. So like, it's not like I had an idea of what I wanted to get out of the military. Mm-hmm. I was just doing stuff. When they asked me where I wanted to go, mm-hmm. um, first duty station, I was like, I want to go as far away from home as possible. I want to go to Japan. Wow. And I spent my first year in Japan. And then from there, it just snowballed into me seeing all these other places. But um, I, had, I didn't have an idea about what I was. All I knew was that I was going to a place to do a job and you're not really taught in the military like about these people's culture. Mm -hmm. You're taught about you and what you need to do and you need what you're told to do. Mm -hmm. And that all that extra stuff, if you didn't want to learn, you didn't have to. Like if you wanted to go somewhere and never learn a single thing about other people's culture, you could absolutely do that. I didn't choose that. And what, I mean, so when you were in that situation, I mean, like when you were talking to those families, what was it? Like, what did you feel when you realized that they, that, you know, even though their cultures are so drastically different than what, what we have here in in the States, that at our core, it's about humanity. We, we, we have the same, you know, I mean, it's a major culture shock, but on the flip side, we care about the very same things, you know, like. If I'm going to be honest, like, I was ashamed of myself. Really? Yeah. Like, and to this day, like, there's, uh, so there's things that um, I have had to come to accept about life and the way life is going to be, right? And in those moments, I was ashamed of myself because I drank the Kool-Aid. And now we, we went over it earlier. Like, I've always been, I do my own thing. I do what I want to do. And I go my own way, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. I accept the consequences and I do what I'm going to do. Now, I felt like I drank the Kool-Aid and I went along with the flow and I followed the herd. Um, and I, at some points, I hated these people. Mm-hmm. I, I can admit that at some points because I was, I was in a crap situation. It was hot. I was away from my family. Like I had bad food. And to me, at some points, it was like, if it wasn't for you... I wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> but then you reel it back in and you feel, ash- I felt ashamed of myself because I drank the Kool-Aid. Like, then I started to realize when I come home that the same things that I'm in, 
enforcing, telling these people that they need to do and that they're wrong for um, are being done to us, not just us like black people, but us as Americans. Right. The same problems that you see in like rural Ohio are the same problems you see it in inner city Chicago, Iowa and Iowa. In Iowa and L.A. And they're the same general problem. What are people concerned with? Food, shelter, safety, family, security. Same thing. Everything to take care of their family. Right. And that's the same thing these people were doing. Right. Imagine someone coming to Texas and telling a bunch of people in Texas that, okay, we understand this is the way you're going to do things, Mm -hmm. that, that you've always done things according to your culture, your culture, your religion, whatever. But now... Because we said it's bad, this is how we're going to do it. So I, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed to have participated in that. Now, obviously, I have an ob- obligation to... I, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm ashamed of my military service. I'm not ashamed of my country, my nationality. My, I'm not ashamed of anything like that. But I was ashamed of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Back to how do you feel instead of what do you do. Right. I was ashamed of how I felt in that moment. Right. Because it was irrational. It, and that's, I think the mil- that's what the military taught me to discern yeah. between what I do and how I feel. And that one doesn't always have bearing on the other. Like, I still have to do my job. Right. Even if I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But when I got a choice, like I, 12 years, five days and 12 hours. That's how long I spent in, in the military. Like, wow. When I got a choice... I left. I left. I don't feel bad about it. I'm not mad at the military or anybody in it. I'm just like, I'm not upset at my ex-wife. And that didn't work out. Like, it just is what it is. And when I had a choice, I left. And, and I it's learned. it's also these chapters that define you as a man. Yep. Which is important. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not, all, not every chapter, you know, has, you know, a happy ending. Right. You know, and we have to just keep keep moving forward, you know? Yeah, it's just another story. Yeah. You know, with where manhood is is uh is in question, I guess. Um what's what is the biggest takeaway from you know, what is the biggest takeaway that you've 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 learned along the way? You know, with all of your life experiences, with having been in the military, with having, um, you know, become a father, become an entrepreneur, you know, a, uh, a leader in your community. What's the, you know, what's the big takeaway? I think that throughout life in general, like the things that I've been through, the things that I've seen, the things that I do, um, I think that it's just about finding your happy place and that that sweet spot in life. And I'm not too concerned with being the most productive anymore. I'm concerned with feeling the, the things around me, the people around me, my environment. And that's why I do what I do. I think that becoming a man is being, uh, in tune with yourself and your surroundings, good or bad. Like I'm not perfect, far from perfect. And part of being a man is accepting your imperfections. Um, back to philosophy, right? I'm a philosophy major and perfection is symmetry. Mm-hmm. Symmetry is boring. 
you don't remember symmetrical things. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're not going to remember this thing that's a perfect square. You're going to remember thing that has something that has a, a jagged edge or a rough patch or that a crack down the middle. And those are the things that make you who you are. So I think that all of these things have made me love the ugly. And that's the lesson. Love the ugly. Love the ugly thing in the room, the ugly person in the room, the ugly person inside yourself. Um, And I think that's what's made me successful through failed relationships, through failed failed endeavors. I just, I I love the ugly. I embrace chaos because chaos is opportunity. That's great. That's beautiful, man. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate here. I'm going to go over the mic. Go over the mic. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for coming in, man. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great talking to you. This is, uh, this is definitely a a new thing. Talking about yourself is way different. And we're out. And thank you so much for listening to the Learning Man podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I could not thank you enough for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like some more of that content, we're going to be dropping new episodes every Friday. So make sure and hit that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast and write us a review because it really does help the channel. Share what topic you want to tackle next or maybe the name of a guest that you want to hear from. Thank you again for joining in this journey. It means so much to me.